Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye hype to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is canceled. Corn Huskers, more like corn suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go! Well, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe because, you know, Jerry and I think it'd be pretty awesome if the biggest podcast slash interview show in Nebraska happened to be a Hawkeye one. So we are joined today by Iowa Hawkeye legend Quinn Early. Mr. Early, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I just I'm, I'm trying to stop laughing. Whose kid is that on the intro? Because <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> he has nor my son or Jerry's. He's a, 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 fr- a friend of the show. He's, love uh, it. I love the intro. It's awesome. He's, doing, he, great, doing great. He's way too cool to be Adamerized kids. So yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's true. <laughs> no, he um he actually has been like Don the Hawkeye hype kid. It's like every single time we do our intro, everyone we interview, they're like, okay, we need to talk about this intro. Like that was yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So, they have him up in Kinnick. He does like an intro at Kinnick a lot of times, and um, he's he's getting to be pretty popular. We have an interview on our uh, on our YouTube channel and our podcast with him. And uh, my kids actually did the interview, so it was like an all kids interview. It was pretty awesome. That is awesome. So awesome. Quinn, Quinn, what are you up to right now? Uh, where are you living? You know what's going on in your life with work, family. Catch all the Hawkeye fans up on what's what's going on with you. Oh man, where can I begin? I. Um... You know, once uh, once I retired from football, I, uh, you know, I worked for a sports nutrition company. I've worked with kids, you know, constantly. I coached both my kids uh, in, in all their sports. And then I coached uh, at Cathedral Catholic High School. I live, I live in San Diego and I coached there for years and years and um, it's just been great. And then uh, in 2010, uh, Bill Perkins, who was one of my teammates at Iowa, he had called me and said, hey, man, come be in my movie this weekend. He he did really well in business, worked on Wall Street. Uh, his passion was uh, filmmaking. Mm. So he called me and said, hey, come be in my movie. So I was like, sure, you know, that sounds good to me. So went to Louisiana where they were making the film. Next thing I know, I was hanging out the back of a truck shooting a machine gun. And then they paid me for it. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I did, you know, so... Fast forward 10 years later. So I've been doing, I've been a stuntman uh, in Hollywood for the past 10 years and just been having a blast doing it. Um, uh, you know, I get to double like Will Smith and uh, double Shamar Moore on the TV show SWAT, uh, double wow. Fishburne on Blackish. I mean, just on and on. And it's just been a, a great experience. And uh, my oldest son, Cameron, is also a stunt man. We get to work together sometimes. He's doing extremely well at it. I have two sons. Chance, my youngest son, he uh, was actually recruited uh, by Iowa. It didn't work out. He ended up going to Reno, Nevada. Was, he was a really good football player. And, uh, you know, so now uh, they're both up and out of the house. So now it's just me. I'm just kind of hanging and, and doing my thing. I got a million questions now after that. That's I, I but I'm gonna let Jerry get his in here real quick. Well, that's we're gonna have to fight over these questions here because uh you you're literally the first stunt man, probably our first IMDB file that we've uh, had on uh, had on the show. So you know, so when it came to being a stunt man, do you just is it any kind of a training that goes with that, Quinn, or did they just flurry into the fray or how did that work? There there are some professions that I think, you know, it it, it was almost for me, I know, and and when I talk to a lot of people, it's totally random how they got into stunts. 
but it's almost like a fake it till you make it type scenario. When I first got into it, you know, I had a couple of uh, mentors that really helped guide me as far as you know, the kind of etiquette, you know, set, um, the do's and the don'ts. You know, for example, if there's a stunt that they ask you to do and you know for a fact that you can't do it, then you say, that's something I don't feel comfortable doing. And then they go, oh, okay. And then they bring somebody else in do it, to, in to do it. If you say, okay, I'll do it. And then you, I don't know, you hit the camera or you mess up the, you know, the, the scene, that's a problem. So there, there, there are things that you do etiquette wise, but um, again, man, like I, you know, I had to just get in there and I just did what I could do. And, you know, and the thing about being a stunt performer is when you do the job and they yell action, you just have to get the job done. It's kind of like football. Right. If they put you out on that field, you got to make that play, because if you don't, they'll get rid of you and put somebody else in. Right. So stunts is the same way. You know, you have to get in there and you have to complete whatever the, the, the they call it a gag, whatever the gag is. You have to do it and do it well. And then you be, you start to build a reputation and then you start to get hired more and things like that. So I'll tell you the camaraderie in doing stunts is the closest thing to playing football. So I, I really enjoy it. I really do. So if Hawkeye fans were wanting to find two, two or three of your most famous movies that you've appeared in, what would some of those be? Oh man, I would say, uh, so my the second movie I ever did was Olympus has fallen with Gerard Butler. Okay. And, uh, there's a, there's a scene where, you know, he's running down to try to save, you know, to see what's going on at the White House. And it's an explosion and he gets thrown. And there's just a big close up of me like right there on on camera, you know, and have my gun like I'm a I'm a you know special agent or whatever. And then they go back to him and, you know, he's getting up, he's groggy. Then they come back to me and I'm getting punched in the face and knocked to the ground, you know. So it was like that was like my big thing, you know, back when I first got started. Um, there's also, oh, uh the nice guys, right? Okay. With um, Ryan Gosling and um, you know, uh, God, I'm, I'm I'm blanking right now, but the, you know, from Gladiator. Um, okay. Okay. Oh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Right. It's it's yes. kind of a period. It's like in the seventies. So I'm in that mm -hmm. one. It's funny because I uh, I'm playing a bodyguard for. Um, I don't know if you remember um, um, Buck. Remember the remember the TV show back in the seventies, Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember that show. It's an old, old. Oh, I remember old it. Show. Yeah, yeah. Adam's Gil a young guy. He doesn't, but I remember it. Well, Gil I'm not Gerard, that old yet. Yeah, Gil Gerard mm -hmm. was the star of that show. So anyway, you know, he's an older gentleman now, and uh, we were bodyguarding for him. So I'm in that movie. Um, I doubled Will on uh, the movie Bright. Um, okay. you won't see me, but just know that anytime he, you know, was getting his face kicked in, it was really me. So, <laughs> so things like that. So, I mean, I've been in a bunch of stuff. You can go on my IMDb page, just punch in my name and IMDb and you can see all the stuff that I've been in. Oh, that oh, that's is awesome. That is fantastic, Quinn. Also, I believe I actually did go into your IMDb page. Also, I, I believe I've seen where you're very, uh, quite studied in the martial arts. Can you expand on that? Oh, yeah. So uh, growing up, um, always been a martial arts geek. You know, when I was a kid, my mom would drop me off at the movie theater in the morning and I would watch the Bruce Lee Film Festival. She'd, she'd drop me off at 9 a.m. and pick me up at 5 p.m. And I'm sure she needed that break because I was you know, a lot to handle back then. But she, <laughs> but um, always into martial arts, I did Taekwondo growing up as a kid. Uh, and then once I got drafted into the NFL, my first off season, I knew that I wanted to get back into martial arts. So I went down to the local Kung Fu school and I joined up and 32 years later, I've been uh, studying martial arts ever since. And I've been teaching it, um, you know, for the past 25 years. So I feel really bad about my life right now, how un <laughs> uninteresting I am as a person, because just in the first nine minutes of this interview, you've done way cooler things than I've ever even thought about doing. So um, being being involved in Hollywood and doing movies, tell us one actor that you met that was like way cooler, way more approachable than you ever would have thought. And maybe one actor that really was kind of aloof that wasn't as friendly as you would think they'd be. 
<laughs> well, I would say it's a friendly side. I would definitely say Will Smith, right? Because he's okay. uh, he's he's what you think he would be. I mean, super funny. Got a great sense of humor. Really nice guy. Um, have a great time. You know, I've, I've I've had the opportunity to double him on a few things. I actually for his fiftieth birthday, uh, someone dared him to bungee jump out of a helicopter into the mm-hmm. Grand. Um, so guess who was the test dummy <laughs> for that one? You know, so, uh, I got an opportunity to do that. That was awesome. He's a great guy. I mean, as far as being aloof and all that stuff, I think, you know, listen, actors sometimes can be a different breed. Um, I don't want to single anybody out cause that might come back to bite me. <laughs> I, I thought you might say that. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe yeah, some but, egos involved or Yeah, but you know what though? You get that you get that in every profession, every walk of life and all that stuff. So I don't let it, any of that affect me. I just keep keep moving and keep doing my thing. But uh overall it's just been an, an, an amazing experience and uh I've had a great time doing it. Jerry so, and I were wondering that with this um <clears throat> the fount this fountain of youth that you've apparently discovered, um, when did you discover it and where is it located? Because you look you look freaking fantastic for your age. Well, what I decided uh, a couple of years back was um, I decided to Benjamin Button it from here on out. So <laughs> I decided to, you know, listen, with all this uh, re-identification, all this stuff, I decided to identify as a 30-year-old instead of <laughs> my, my true age, right, which is in my 50s. So, no, but, but seriously, though, I just, listen, genetics, right? My mom is super young looking and... Uh, I just work out like a madman. I still train. I still eat super healthy. Although I like the beers, you know, I, you know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, IPAs and stuff. But 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 I do. I train. Um, I eat super healthy. And I listen. I always tell people the first you spend the first thirty years of your life trying to build it up, and then you spend the rest of the time trying to hold it up. So. Uh-huh. I'm I'm in the whole stage right now. You know? Jerry, he yeah. took one look at us. He was like, "Those guys like to drink beer." He just assumed. He totally knew. <laughs> no, but yeah. I'm right with you. I'm right here. I'm right yeah. here. Yeah, you, you weren't he wrong. Realize we're, he doesn't realize we're both 25. This podcasting stuff is hard, though, man. So <laughs> it, it wears on you. So I got to ask you real quick, then, Quinn. More difficult, bungee jumping out of a helicopter or going across the middle, knowing that defensive back's bearing down on you for the catch. Going across the middle for sure. The thing about doing stunts is people people ask me that question all the time. And the thing about football is, well, it used to be anyway. I mean, the rules are different now, right? You can't blast mm-hmm. it. Back then, you go over the middle and the ball was high, and then they just cut you in half with a chainsaw, you know, and then throw you in the trash and you're done, you know. But um, nowadays, the rules are a little bit different. But, you know, the thing about football is you don't know what what's coming and when. You know, you go out there each yeah. play, you play as hard as you can, and you know, sometimes you're taking your life into your own hands. You know, I think with stunts, right, sometimes unforeseen things can happen, but it's pretty it's pretty uh, planned out. Uh, there are a lot of safety measures involved. And, you know, I know like for me and this, you know, I applied this from learning from Coach Fry and in, in my football game, I always played it out over and over and over again. So by the time I got to the line of scrimmage and the ball was snapped, I already made that play. Mm. And a lot of times it would happen exactly that way. And I I approach stunts the same way, no matter how hard or how easy a stunt is, you know, it could be me just tripping and falling, you know, just something simple, but I always play it over and over and over again. So when they yell action, I've already done it, you know, 20 times. Sure. So there's a lot of safety measures there. So I would definitely say football is definitely the, the harder deal. Well, you mentioned Coach Fry there. Um, in our opinion, and I think many people's opinion, one of the greatest coaches of all time, definitely you know, way before his time. Um, and then also, you had the luxury of playing on a staff that pretty much has gone down as one of the greatest coaching staffs top to bottom in the history of college football. What were some of your takeaways from uh, the, the cast of characters that, that were on that staff that all went, a lot of them most went on to become head coaches? There are so many stories. I mean, we could I could be here all night telling you guys about different coaches and, you know, but I feel fortunate to have had the opportunity to play for some of these guys. You know, Bill Snyder, I have a story about him. Um, when I first got to Iowa and I, you know, he is a stickler for the details. He was a perfectionist 
And he expected nothing less than exactly what he was asking of you as players. You know, I remember, um, I remember we were watching a game film and that, and that game that we had just played, I'd caught a pass and I made some moves. I scored a touchdown and we were watching the game film and, uh, Coach Snyder says to me, congratulations. Um, but how deep are you supposed to run that route? And I said, 11 yards. He says, how deep did you run it? I said, nine yards. He goes, you, son, you can't play for me. Wow. Bring that route short like that. And I'm in wow. the back of the room, and I'm under my breath, man. I'm cursing this guy. And he was so hard on me. And, you know, my first couple of years there, and I just thought the guy hated me. And – by my junior, senior year, the only thing that Coach Snyder would say to me was, good job, Quinn Early. Good job, Quinn Early. That's all he had to say to me. And then when I got to the NFL, um, it was kind of – I'm not going to say it was easy, right, because it's a, it's, a, it's a super hard league. It's a super you know professional deal. But I was able to do things right off the bat that I could play any position that they put me at. And I ran all my routes at the right depth and I made plays and, you know, I, I attribute my longevity in that league. Obviously there's some luck involved, but I would definitely attribute a lot of that success to coach Snyder and his guidance. And the funny thing is, is that uh, probably about my eighth year in the league, I called coach Snyder and, I just wanted to thank him, you know, because it was because of him of my, and he cut me off and he goes, I know. I know. Whoa. Wow. That's, yeah. So, and it was, um, so, you know, so I, I owe, I owe him a lot and I saw him at coach Frost's funeral and I gave him a big hug and, you know, we've talked and stuff like that. So he knows how I feel, but man, you're, you're not kidding when you talk about those coaches and you talk about the Stoops brothers, um, you know, I mean, Coach Ferenz, you talk about um, Barry Alvarez, Alvarez and, and McCarney, McCarney and, you know, uh, Brett Bielema and like all of these guys and on and on. Jay Norvell is at Nevada right now, actually, where my son Chance went to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you can just go on and on. Man. Just a really wow. great group. Jay's so you played a lot of future. What's that? And you- no, I said, ahead, J- I said Jay Norvell has a really bright future ahead of him. Oh, no, he does, man. He's a great coach, you know, and he, uh, like I said, you know, my son Chance, uh, when he was getting recruited and we took a visit to Oklahoma and, you know, uh, he got to, my son got to spend some chance with Jay and uh, just a really great guy. And, and um, man, he's doing, a, he's doing a great job with that program. You know, one of the things that gets lost with all those coaches, I guess, to me, uh, Quinn, though, also is how many future coaches you played alongside of at Iowa. I mean, the Chuck Longs, the Mike Stoops, Jay, Jonathan Hayes. I mean, you not only had great coaches, you know, but you had great coaches alongside you on the team as well. And I think that gets overlooked a lot with those Hayden teams as well. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and just the just the lineage, you know, the the what Coach Fry passed down as a uh, as a mentor, right, to young men and, um, you know, his example. I think it just it says a lot. It says a lot. And I'm, I'm really I really feel fortunate to have been able to. You know, being all right, Quinn, we're going to play a quick game with you here. Okay. We're going to say the name of a member of that coaching staff, and you're going to say the first word that comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> when, okay. when we said, okay. So right. just the, that, that describes them the best. It's fun to play games like this. Come on. Okay. All right. Ready? First one Hayden, Hayden Fry. Mentor. All right. Let's see, you're good at this already. Yeah. Um, Bill Snyder, hard ass. <laughs> I, you're killing it, man! Like what? you acted like you were scared. All right, uh, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz. You, you said one word, or just salt, salt of the earth, man. Just go for it. Just go for salt it. Of the earth. Salt of the earth. Love him. Okay. Barry Alvarez. Just great coach. Great coach. Bobby Stoops. Jack Hammer. <laughs> when that guy played, he must have weighed about 150 pounds, and he would knock you out and himself out, and it was just it was unbelievable to watch him. My, same thing with Mike. Same thing with Mike. But Mike anyway, Stoops I, as well. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. All right. And then the last one we got Dan McCarney. Not sure if this is true, but Playboy comes to mind. <laughs> he just had that, you know what I mean? He had that smile. He had the yeah. gold locks, and he was just super cool. Swagger. Yeah, he had swag. Yep. Swag yeah. before swag was the thing. You know? I told Jerry that if I was like being a diehard Hawkeye fan, coming out of high school, I really had to like put myself in those shoes and say, if he came into my living room to recruit me, I don't think I could have said no. As charismatic and as good of a speaker as he is, when we interviewed him, I've never felt so important in my life when I talked to him. He like he he knows how to build a guy up. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's just a that coaching staff, man. I loved every one of those guys. Great coaching staff. So going back to the beginning, then Quinn is a young man in New Jersey, and a team named Iowa is coming to recruit you. Um, you know, what are your first thoughts? Who are your key personnel you uh, work with in recruitment? How did how did your recruitment go about? Um, so basically, uh, I was playing football, uh, we were playing, a, a, another school and I think the Iowa coaches, it was Bernie Wyatt. He was in charge okay. of coaching the, uh, or recruiting from the East coast. And he was there, I think, looking at somebody from the other school we were playing. And I think I returned a kickoff for a touchdown and there started to be a little bit of buzz about me. And I was in the, uh, I was in class one day and you know, that little black phone that hangs in the corner of the classroom, Mm -hmm. that thing rang and the teacher answered it and she looked right at me. And I was like, it was almost like a not again thing, right? Like what, what did I do this time kind of thing? Right. So she said, go up to the office. I went up there and it was uh, coach Fry, coach Wyatt and coach Snyder. And they were all sitting in the office and I was like, and they let me know that they wanted me to come play football in Iowa. And then from there, I started getting some other interests. And I always wanted to go play at Penn State. You know, I was a big uh, Joe Paterno fan growing up. And uh, um, so some things happened. And, you know, Penn State, they wanted me to go to, even though I had the grades, they wanted me to go to junior college. They wanted to get scholarships, some, you know, whatever mm-hmm. they were doing. And, um, you know, I had some other choices. And then so when I visited Iowa, one of the things that I loved was the fact that there were a lot of guys from the East Coast there, New York, New Jersey guys, and uh, they all loved it. Uh, it was super cool. And then one of the big factors, and oh, and then the fact that uh, I was an artist and they had a, they have a great art school there at Iowa. And one of the biggest factors was the fact that growing up, I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Mm. And they and the Hawkeyes had those Pittsburgh Steelers uniforms. You know, when you're 18, that's huge. Yeah. I'm like, I'm rocking that uniform. You know what I mean? So I think it was just a cumulative thing with all of those things. And, you know, sometimes you just have a feeling like this is where this is the place that I need to be. But when they offered me the scholarship, I didn't hesitate. And for the young guys out there, Penn State wasn't even a member of the Big Ten at that time. That They didn't come into the conference till later. I can't remember what conference they were in previously. Like the Big, Big East or something like yeah. that. I was thinking it was, but I yeah, yeah, don't it know. was. And Pitt and like those schools. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah. That, that was a good conference back in the day. I would really wish that it wouldn't have dismantled and just become a basketball conference because they had some good football over there. No, they did. They really did. Uh, in 1985, you had the opportunity to play in the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. Uh, walk us all through what that experience was like and how much that meant to you. Well, it meant a lot. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, th- that season was just full of some great moments. You know, we had some ups and downs, you know, going into that Michigan game, being the number one school and them number two and, you know, we kicked that field goal at the end, Rob Howland, and uh, winning that game was amazing. Uh, it's funny because, you know, I, I still to this day think about when we went to Ohio State and it was like one of those torrential downpours and, and uh, you know, we ended up losing. And there was, a, there was this uh, Sports Illustrated article and the caption was, I, I have it in my scrapbook. Don't make me go in the closet and get it. But it said, Splish Splash, Iowa takes a bath. And it's me getting like some, you know, whatever the player was wrapped around my waist. And I'm like this and the ball's flying out. And, you know, we ended up losing that game. And, uh, you know, but we still ended up winning the conference and going to the Rose Bowl. And, man, the pageantry and the experience and, 
it was pretty amazing deal. It was pretty amazing deal. You know, and I always think about the fact that if we would have won that Ohio state game, and we would have won that Rose Bowl, we would have been national champions that year. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work mm-hmm. out. That's, you know, right? That's the agony of defeat stuff, right? But um, what a great experience. What a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But you're only four years in, really, from that 81 Rose Bowl team. And I mean, about five or six since Hayden took the realm. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, it was an amazing turnaround for you to reach those heights. So. No, absolutely. And I don't think I don't think I appreciated at you know nineteen or twenty whatever I was I don't think I appreciated the gravity of that situation you know we were just going on I was just playing you know mm-hmm. but now when I look back on it man it's it's it's, it's just uh, it's an amazing feeling just to know that I was a part of that yeah awesome stuff. So who were some of the, you know, with social media, we uh, we hear about the guys like the Matt Roths, the Drew Watts, the guys that are the real characters, uh, you know, pulling a lot of shenanigans on the team. Who who are those types of guys back on that 85 team, the guys that kept it loose, the guys that were kind of ornery at heart, I mean, that, that gave you stories? Oh, man, well, you know, you had <laughs> – so Robert Smith, remember, he went over two. He was mm-hmm. from, from, uh, from Texas. And uh, so him – and Kerry Burt, who played safety. The three of us were pretty inseparable back then. And uh, man, the laughter was just <laughs> non-stop. You know, we just, we kind of stuck to our, to our little group or whatever, but man, we just laughed all the time. But definitely Robert Smith, man, he always had the jokes. And you know, when I was, I was just back in Iowa City and got to spend some time with those guys and we were laughing like it never ended. You know, it was... Uh, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So moving on to uh, your journey into the NFL, getting drafted by, I believe, it was the San Diego Chargers. What what was that experience like back when you were coming out, having to you know sign an agent? You don't have social media to really promote yourself back then like you do now. Um, what what was that process like um, going through the draft, getting an agent, and transitioning into the National Football League? You know, it was pretty amazing uh, experience. Um, you know, going into my junior year, I had the thought that, you know, if I have a great year this year that, uh, you know, I'd like to come out and, and, and enter the draft. And a week before the first game, I uh, we were scrimmaging. I got tackled. Somebody fell on me. I separated my shoulder. I missed the first half of the season. Uh, so it didn't work out that way. But it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I came back in my senior year. And, you know, as you guys know, I had a, I had a really good year that year. Um. So I knew that I was going to get drafted pretty high. Um, you know, it, it was funny because all of a sudden I started getting these calls from like these different agents and all this other stuff. And I just, I think I had a pretty good support system in knowing not to, um, not to sign with an agent or really talk to any agents or do anything thing like that. But the nice thing is, is that I had a family friend who was friends with a, an agent from my hometown. And we had talked on occasion just casually and he never offered me anything. He never promised me anything, never offered to buy my mom a house or any of these other things. And I ended up going with him and that ended up being a really good deal. You know, once, once my senior year was over and then uh, just doing, you know, going to the combines and going, you know, to the, you know, so basically like it is now. Went to the combine, you know, some of the coaches, uh, some of the teams came to the facility, worked out for them. Um, and I knew that I was going to go pretty high. And then on draft day, you know, I was just at my home, you know, my mom's home. And, uh, you know, it was a little nerve wracking because the first round went by and I didn't get called. And then the second round went by and I didn't get called. And by then, now I went. I, I went in there and got in the bed and just went to bed. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I couldn't take it. And then finally, the San Diego Chargers called and and let me know that they they were drafting me and wanted me to be a part of their program. And uh, it was the the most phenomenal experience, you know, that I've ever ever had. You know, I, I just uh, it's just been a, a childhood dream of mine, and to finally be able to put that NFL uniform on was a uh, was a pretty amazing thing. Well, and in the small world that is Hawkeye football, you were drafted by a team that had a general manager by the name of Bobby Bethard, who ends up being grandfather to C.J. Yeah. Bethard. 
mm-hmm. eventual Iowa quarterback. But I don't believe he would have even been born yet when you were there. So no, no. And I'll tell you, Bobby Bethard wasn't really a Cornelly fan. I did, to be truthful. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that that was just a, a a program that was in turmoil when I got there. You know, uh, the Air Coriel days were just ending. Dan Fouts just retired, Charlie Joyner, uh, you know, Kellen Winslow, on and on and on. And uh, we weren't very good. And, uh, you know, Steve Ortmeyer was the general manager and uh, Al Saunders was the head coach. And there was just a lot of infighting between all those people. And, you know, I was only with them for one year. And then it's my second year, Bobby Bethard came in. And I think he liked, you know, he liked those receivers, you know, from Winston-Salem State. You know, he liked those diamonds and the rough type guys. Mm. I think there's a stigma, you know, that I don't know, Big Ten receivers can't play the game or something, or especially Iowa. Sure. I mean, how many Iowa receivers have played in the NFL? Um, so I think he came in just with a preconceived, you know, conceived, you know, Cornell is not very good, you know, whatever it was. So my second year, uh, I ended up getting hurt. And then my third year, he I was just on the top of his get rid of list. And, uh, but I had a really good training camp, so they kept me, but they kept putting guys in front of me and I wasn't really playing. And then back then they had that plan B free agency, which meant that at the end of the season, every team had to allocate 15 players onto this list. So other teams could possibly pick them up. Mm-hmm. And then if the team didn't pick them up, then, you know, they, the team could keep the player or they could just release them. And he let me know that if another team didn't pick me up, that they weren't going to keep me. That was a really hard time. I had just gotten married. I had a brand new baby. Sure. I was 24 years old. I'm like a young guy. And so once the free agency came around, I got calls from like 26 teams. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I ended up signing with the Saints. And uh, it was a good thing because it, what it did was it kept a chip on my shoulder. And it made me work hard just to prove that I belong there. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's funny because years later, I ran into Bobby Bethard and uh, he apologized to me. Really? Yeah. He told me I was I was getting on an elevator, the door opened, he was coming out, and he said, I was wrong about you. You know, I made a mistake. And I just said thank you for saying that. You know, so that was pretty awesome. You know, that, cool. That takes a a classy guy to do that. I mean, we're Absolutely. all we're all wrong. It yeah, and it's business. It's business. I've never held it, you know, I've never been I've never taken it personal. Um, I know that it's business, you know, guys like their guys, they want to bring some other guys in, you know, it's 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 business, it's economics, all that stuff. I get it, you know, but uh, and it really it really helped to, to mold me and, and inform who I was as a professional, you know, because, you know, when you're at Iowa, it's all love. Even when we would lose, it would be like, oh, you know, we still love you guys. Good. Mm-hmm. You know, if you lose in the NFL, man, they're ready to. <laughs> yeah. About back, you know, it's a different deal. And I had to learn that. And, you know, and I did. I did. It worked out great. I really want to get your perspective from someone that had played for the Chargers and that lives in San Diego now, what that was like for the community, the fans, and maybe even for yourself when the Chargers, I know it's not super far away, but moved up to Los Angeles, how that affected the community. Well, I think that, you know, what was really apparent to me when I got drafted by the Chargers, I remember playing the 49ers and we were at, uh, Qualcomm Stadium. It used to be Jack Murphy Stadium. And uh, there were probably 40,000 fans in the stadium. So the stadium wasn't full. And I would say 30,000 of those fans were wearing red and gold. Wow. And when they announced the Chargers, we were getting booed at our home stadium. Wow. And uh, the thing about living in San Diego – San Diego is one of the only places where you can go to the beach in the morning and then go skiing in the afternoon. It's always 70, 80 degrees. Everybody's playing golf. There's always something to do. Um, I don't think it's the, it was the Mecca of football as far as, you know, the fans go and things like that. Um, You know, I mean, are they missed here in San Diego? Absolutely. You know, and you have the diehard fans and, it's weird living in the city and there's no football team, hmm. you know, but it's not, um, it's not so huge that you just know, you know, you can just feel it when the football season comes around. Right. I mean, it's really not that big a deal, you know? 
So it's sure enough. There's yeah. too much to do there. Too much to do. Too I've been there. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as far as places to play pro ball, though, you hit a lot of places with fun things to do between New York, New Orleans, San Diego. I'm not sure how Buffalo ended up on that list, but, uh, you know, that's our three out of four. I, I love playing in Buffalo. I, yeah, I really love playing in New Orleans. Um, obviously, I had my best years there, but it was great because, you know, my children were little. Um, you know, we had great restaurants. Uh, we had some great seasons there. I just had a blast there. Hated to leave, but again, the business, right? And then when I signed with Buffalo, I really enjoyed it there as well. It was at the end of the, you know, the Jim Kelly era, you know, and Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith, and those guys. But it was great because it was uh, in New Orleans when I was playing for Jim Mora, he was kind of a slave driver. Like he expected, I mean, it was, it was, it was very serious. And, uh, you know, we had some good teams. When I went to Buffalo, um, uh, Mark Levy let the players pretty much so held each other accountable, let's just say. So if you couldn't make plays, if you didn't, like Thurman and those guys, man, they let you know you you suck. I don't even know why they signed you. <laughs> it, was, it was no joke. But we had a great time, and I like the fact that when I got there, those guys were older as well, and we and uh, our families were all friends. The kids were little. We got to spend a lot of family time together. And what I loved about Buffalo was on Saturdays before the games, you know, we'd have our walkthrough practice, and the whole family would be there. The kids would be running around on the field, and it was just a really family atmosphere. So I really, really enjoyed that. Now I'll tell you, when I went my last year when I played for the Jets, that was my twelfth year. I had no business on a football field at that point. I was just, the fire was out. I was, you know, ready to just drink a couple of beers and just hang out. And, you know, Bill Parcells called me. He's like, hey, man, we need you. You know, we need one. And, you know, I looked at my wife and she was like, you better get your ass on that plane, you know. And and uh, so I did. And, and uh, you know, the, and the thing about it was they were picked to go. This is 1999. And the Jets were picked in the AFC to go to the Super Bowl that year. And I knew that if I didn't go and went, I would regret it. And then Benny Testaverde, who was the quarterback, he ended up getting hurt. I think it was like the first game or something like that. And then we struggled. But, um, you know, every experience that I had, I'm, I'm thankful for now when I look back on it and being able to play as long as I did, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of it. Okay, so Adam and I are going to be fighting with each other to ask you this next question because we are the Nebraska Hawks Nest. And when uh -huh. I was doing some research earlier today about your time with the Jets, there was a young defensive back on the Jets by the name of Scott Frost, yeah. who now coaches the Huskers. Please yeah. tell us that you got maybe a good shot in on him blocking, or was there any good Scott Frost story that came out of your time when you guys were on the same team? Or? No, because what happened was um, training camp. I thought I was done. Like so, after my after my last season with the Bills, they had released me, and you know I was I thought I was done. You know I was still training, but it was I wasn't quite as intense and. You know, uh, I was kind of hanging out and training camp was almost over. And then I got the call from Bill Parcells. So they were just ready to break camp. So there was really no banging head okay. you know, within the team for me uh, that season. When I got there, they were breaking camp and it was like the season was starting. Uh, but, yeah, no, Scott was a part of the team. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome to watch what, what he's doing with that program and, you know, his coaching career and things like that. Sure. So speaking of, you know, characters like Scott Frost, who are some of the most memorable guys that you remember playing with or against that you look back, you know, just on a regular Monday or Tuesday and you're like, man, that guy was an animal or that guy was out of control. Anybody pop to mind when you think about that? Yeah. So as far as guys that I played against, you know, and I, I always tell people this, you know, people ask me sometimes who, you know, some of the best defensive backs uh, that you ever played against. I have two. So first is Eric Allen. Remember, he used to play with the Eagles. Hmm. And Eric is kind of a – he's a smaller, unassuming guy. You would never know that he was as as much of a beast as he was. And, um, you know, I used to have to really, really study him. And we talk about it some. He lives here in San Diego. He's from San Diego. And um, we've had some conversations because we've had, we had some battles uh, when we played. And he was absolutely one of the best players I ever played against. And what's pretty cool is I've got to coach a couple of his kids – 
in football. You know, I coach at Cathedral Catholic here in Sandy, San Diego, and uh, got to coach a couple of his kids. So that's been pretty cool. Another guy was James Hasty, who used to play for uh, the Chiefs. Okay. And uh, he would he would play bump and run, and you know I'd go to make my move at the line, and he used to just hit these clamps. He would just clamp his hands around your shoulders, and it was like he would just you know he just make you look bad. I mean he was just, he was just a really solid player, um, really hard to play against. Uh, so those those were those couple of guys, and um, you know when you talk about characters though, so Eric Moles who they drafted mm -hmm. round for the Bills. He was a really good player, um, Pro Bowl guy uh, for the Bills. And, man, you want to talk about the jokes. That guy, man, we just laughed. I mean, it was nonstop. From the time you walked into the locker room to the time you came off the field and went home for the day, driving home, I'm, I'm still laughing about what he said <laughs> earlier in the day. So just some great times, though, all great experiences. Well, anyway, you know, and I, I, what sticks out to me though, what we talked about this, not, a, you know, we're coaching just all of your life. I mean, you talk, you've mentioned the Jim Morris, the Marv Levy's, the, uh, you know, we've talked about all the coaches at Iowa, the guys you played along with. <laughs> I mean, you've had a string of basically Hall of Fame coaches from uh, start to finish through your time. Was 99 the last year that Parcells was there then? Was that the, and they were going to so, have rings? Yeah. yeah, I believe so. And then, uh, they wanted Bill Belichick to be the coach, and then he they hired him, and then he quit, and then he went to the Patriots. And I'll tell you, he was a defensive coordinator uh, at the Jets my last year. And I remember we were getting ready to play the Bills, and uh, he called me into his office. And, you know, he's very serious. And uh, I almost felt like it was a murder investigation, and I was the main suspect, and they had the, the you know, the, the light was – shining on me and he was just asking me all these questions about the bills and their schemes and 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 how they do and just just such a detailed guy but you're right i you know to, to have the opportunity to play for the coaches that i've played for it's it's a pretty amazing thing so jerry and our research team uh dug up something that i was unaware of about you uh back in 2013 you were a part of a mentoring program that assisted with like um, Jamarcus Russell. Is that uh, accurate information? Yeah, it, it is not 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 so in depth. Um, there was a group that was trying to help him get back into the NFL. Okay, and uh, they had me come and work with some of the receivers that were working with him during that time. So I went down, you know, it was Jeff Garcia, Jeff Garcia lives here and uh, yeah. as well. And so, you know, we went down and work with those guys and, you know, I just tried to give them some good words of encouragement and just, um, you know, there are certain things that you need to do as a professional, if you want to remain a professional. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes I think some of these young men, again, if you don't have a good support system, uh, you know, and you get a little money in your pocket, I think you lose focus on what's important, what got you there and what's going to keep you there. So I think that we were trying to, you know, collectively just really trying to stress that to him. And because he definitely had the talent, he had the size, he had the talent, he had the strength, he had the speed, um, he had the arm. Um, so for whatever reason, that didn't work out. Um, but I didn't get too, too in depth with it, but I was there when, when they were trying to, you know, help him get back into the league. So, uh, you know, now that Adam and I are reassessing all of our life choices after hearing about all your adventures, um, <laughs> what have you got going now? What's, well, you know, what's Quinn early? What's, what's the current, what's, what's Quinn early's goals down the road? I mean, and just yeah. make us feel worse about our choices. So. <laughs> yes, do. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, in doing acting and stunt work, um, you know, again, you know, we were joking before about the found a youth thing, but, you know, getting thrown through a plate glass window wasn't quite feeling as fresh <laughs> as it was back in the day. Right. So um, I've done a lot of writing and how I got into writing was my mom wrote this amazing story about our family history. Um, and uh, it got me I, I wrote actually wrote a screenplay based on her book and that really sparked me into writing and producing and things like that. So I'm doing a lot of bit, a lot of that right now. And most recently, 
I was in Iowa City. I told you guys before we did the show. And there's a gentleman named Frank Kenny Holbrook. Frank, Frank Kenny Holbrook was the first black football player from the state of Iowa to play major collegiate sports. He was a two-sport athlete. He played football and ran track. He was from Tipton, Iowa. His father was a slave, ran away from his captors when he was 12 years old, ran into this guy, Captain uh, Lloyd Dillon, who was in the Union Army. James Holbrook, Kenny's father, valeted for Captain Dillon through the Civil War. After the war, he brought the young man back to his hometown of Iowa City. When, he grew, when, when James Holbrook grew up, he moved to Tipton and had a, uh, got married, had a family. Frank Kenny Holbrook was a football and track star at Tipton High School. Uh, Iowa came, wanted him to come. Couldn't, they couldn't afford to send him. The town rallied around him, raised money to send him to Iowa. He, in, in 1895, they didn't have a, a coach. They were just kind of like a bunch of ragamuffins running around. He played end. Back then, they didn't throw the ball, so he was blocking. In 1896, uh, Alfred E. Bull was this all-American football player. He came to coach there at Iowa, moved Kinney to running back, halfback, crushed it. They won their first conference championship in Iowa football history in 1896. They beat the Missouri Tigers. Nobody knows about the guy. There have been a couple of articles, you know, in, in, in recent, you know, last year, two years about him. But I just completed a, uh, a documentary about him. It's being edited right now. It's called The Shoulders of Giants. Um, and I, there's a website. If you go to frankkinneyholbrook.com, uh, you can read about it. I'll, I'll keep updating you guys. The trailer will be done soon. And, and my hopes, uh, my hope is to um, get it uh, signed with some sort of streaming service or something like that. Um, I also want to raise money for, um, you know, my foundation. My mom, unfortunately, passed away from Alzheimer's. And I started a foundation in her name. It's the Ann Early Intervention Foundation. And, um, you know, I'm also going to use this documentary as, as a vehicle to raise money for, for Alzheimer's. And, and then I'm going to continue to, uh, I'm going to do a, a documentary series called This Is One. Um, and it'll, it'll just highlight uh, black pioneers in American sports history whose stories haven't been told. I'm going to tell their stories. Very, very Fantastic. cool. Make sure you throw in Duke Slater too, because that's, oh, that, that's a great, he's got an amazing story too, that yeah. not enough Hawkeye fans know enough about Duke Slater. You know, it's amazing because I lived in Slater Hall. I didn't know. Yeah. You know, sure. and, uh, so I do, I know a lot about Duke Slater and his history and uh, he's actually, there's, there's mention of him in this documentary. Um, but the, yeah, there are so many stories and it's not just Hawkeye stories, but it's just, you know, and, and throughout the big 10 and, you know, one of the ones I'm working, I'm going to be working on next is just the relationship between Hayden Fry and Jerry Levice. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, when he was at SMU, you know, he gave the first scholarship to a black player back in 1966, mm -hmm. there was death threats and everything else, you know, and when I went to uh, coach Fry's uh, funeral, uh, Jerry Levice spoke and they showed they had a slide show. He was part of their family. And, you know, just the relationship that they had and how many how many lives Coach Fry touched. You know, do you know that he's in the, he's in the Marine Corps Hall of Fame. He's in the college mm -hmm. football. I mean, it's just the story is just it's ridiculous. And when I was just back in Iowa City and I was talking to Robert Smith and Robert Smith had asked Coach Fry, why he gave, you know, and that's a big reason why Robert went to Iowa. And he asked Coach Fry why he gave Jerry Levias that scholarship back way back when. And he said he was in, in, in Robert could say this a lot more eloquently than I'm saying it. But he said that Coach Fry said to him that he was tired of being in the dark and that, you know, hate and racism, right, can't live in the light. And I just thought that was just that was just really powerful, really powerful. So I, I definitely want to do that story. And there's a whole bunch of them.
There's a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. I, I love that you said that. And just to think, how good would it be if somebody did a movie about Hayden Fry's life just with his swagger and his style and his innovative thinking and just way before his time in so many different ways, just how interesting that would be. And that being a part of the Hayden Fry story, like everything he did at SMU. I mean, the guy lived one full life. Yeah. And yeah. North Texas. I mean, he, yeah. yeah, he got it done, you know? And uh, yeah, I would love, to, I would love to be a part of making well, a film about him. If only we knew somebody who was getting their, you know, chops that, you know, stuntman, producer, you know, executive <laughs> director, you know, maybe that even played for him and could even maybe stars himself in the movie. You know, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. If we only we knew who that guy could be. A long in the tooth to be starring in stuff <laughs> in the 80s. Uh, you keep so, drinking from uh, the fountain of youth. Anything's possible. <laughs> so, so, Quinn, what is the release date or do you have one yet on that documentary? Don't have a release date yet, but I would say that the trailer, um, I have a, I have a real, um, basic trailer that I did myself on the Frank Kenny Holbrook website. Uh, but the actual trailer, the professional trailer, which should be done in the next week or two. And uh, I would say that the documentary will be ready within the month. And then I'm just going to start pushing it forward and, you know, uh, start doing some social media on it and all that stuff. So just be looking for it within the next month or two. Yeah, Fantastic. awesome. And Fantastic. make sure to keep okay. make sure, keep us posted on all this stuff. We'd love Absolutely. to help you share it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I, my last burning question I've got for Quinn Early. You got one more season of college football eligibility to come back as a receiver, but you can only choose one quarterback. Chuck oh. Long, Mark Vlasic, Chuck Hartlieb. Who, who's Quinn Early choosing as his, hey, as wait, his so, quarterback? So Mark Vlasic, Chuck Hartlieb, those are the only two? And, and Chuck Long. So let me tell you first, first, and Chuck knows this because I tease him all the time about it. Back when I was a, I was a redshirt freshman and Chuck was a senior, every, every, before every game, Chuck would say to me, today's your day, Q, today's your day, Q. And then during the game, he would never throw me the ball, right? So <laughs> as awesome as he was, get him out. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, um, you know, my junior year, I only got to play half a season because remember I told you I got hurt. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, so I only got to play half a season with Mark. But man, what a phenomenal quarterback! And, and me and him are awesome friends to this day. And um, wow, Chuck Hartley. I mean, because of that guy, I had the season I had my senior year and went to the NFL. You know, um, sure. So it's hard to it, it it it's hard to choose. It's hard to choose. So I'm just gonna leave All it there. Right. Wait. All right. It's a tie for first. We'll leave it at that for you. So. <laughs> and, and we and we can't forgive Chuck Long, according to what you're telling us. So. I love Chuck to death, man. He's a good guy, man. But, yeah, yeah. We, I joke, we joke about that. All right. All, right. All right, Quinn. Well, we better let you get going. Jerry and I have a lot of pondering and evaluating mm -hmm. to do on our life choices right now. <laughs> um, you know, luckily enough, we're not so far, you know, one foot in the grave that we can actually maybe make some changes at this point. Wait, man, this podcast is awesome, man. You guys are doing great. So I appreciate well, if you if, if you have a premiere, maybe you can invite us to that. We can at least feel like we've done something here in our, you know, in our recent history. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, let's stay in touch for sure. All right. Sounds well, good. Quinn, thank you so much for you know everything you did as a hawkeye and just had such an awesome pro career and you know tearing it up in Hollywood. It's just one thing after the next. So let's keep it going. We're gonna be looking forward to what we see from you next. I appreciate it, man. Good talking uh, to you guys. All right, Quinn. Good talking all right. to you. Go all right, Hawks. All right, go Hawks.